I'm going to share, I want to paint a picture this morning for everyone that's in here. And I'm going to move, I'm moving pretty quick because um, I've got a lot of ground to cover. But I want to paint out a picture. Some of you men are going to be in familiar ground from our uh, men's group because I'm going to revisit some things that kind of set me on fire uh, through our book study. So I'm going to reference some of what John Bevere had already put together in, in, in words for us. Not that it's great revelation, it's scientific data, um, but I'm going I'm to read his so I didn't have to spend the hours that he probably did to get the scientific data, okay? So I'm just going to quote uh, some of that, and then I'm going to parallel it with what God has given me for a specific group of people here today, I know. Um, and I think is where I'm going to start is, do you know, do I know? Do we truly know the wonders of God, his glory, how wonderful and magnificent he is? Do we truly know? Are you in this place maybe and you're here and you've never even heard? Do we ever really think about how marvelous God is? Do we think or do we think of him as a man or a guy? where we see a portrait of Jesus and say, well, that's the Lord. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen God. But do we consider his complete majesty? Have you ever let your mind go there? I want to take us there this morning, and I promise you, your mind is not going to be capable of going where we're going to go. Mine's not. Because his, his, uh, the, the sheer majesty of who we call God God of the universe. Israel seen the wonders of God, right? They seen plagues on Egypt. They seen the Red Sea part. Come on, man. If I was being chased by an army and all of a sudden a big sea just went whoop and said, I think, I mean, I don't know if Tracy, I'd be able to even run. I mean, I'd just be like, ah, (laughs) you know, freaking out. They seen the wonders. But golly, they just forgot. Moses went to be with God, and they totally forgot about God's. They forgot about the wondrous things. And they, we all know the story. They started forming their own God. Started to worship a calf. And they just lost. And I think that sometimes we lose sight of the majesty of God. We do. I think we just truly lose sight, or maybe you never even knew it to begin with. And if you're here today, I'm going to give you a story, and I'm going to show you the majesty of who we call God. Why do we assemble here and worship and praise and and serve an, an, an almighty? And then I'm going to give you what he has to say to you. Isaiah was actually... A writer, and if you have your Bible, I am going to go all over the place. I'm not going to have you uh, look up every scripture, but I want to start my story in Isaiah 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, basically, Isaiah is is completely baffled. He's baffled by how the Israelites could forget the majesty of God. Do you not remember? Do you? So he declares, actually, 
in, in Isaiah uh, chapter 40, I'm just going to give you 12. Um, Isaiah declares 12, who have measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with thy span and comprehended the dust of the earth and to measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills and the balance. Now I know on the screen, I don't know if he did it, I, maybe not, but I told him NIV, I was reading out of the King James, but Isaiah is declaring it. And, and what I want to focus on is 21 through 26. He's baffled about Israel, how they've lost sight. And um, like John Bevere put in the, in the book, um, he laid out uh, some of this uh, that I'm going to share with you today. So the scripture, starting with verse 21, says, it's, He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Okay, so I want to get your hearts right here. Before we even start here, as we go, I want you to start thinking about God. Who is he to you? What is your image of God? What do you even think when you say God? We're going to talk about Father God, the creator of all heaven and earth, who then gave us his own begotten son, but I want to focus on God the Father. Is that okay? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. You ever set up a tent? To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who, he who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name, because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. God created the heavens with his hands by stretching out the universe like a canopy. He was able to measure the universe by the span of his hand, according to verse uh, 12 that I read, okay, the universe, y'all, by the span of his hand. Are we starting to get a little glimpse of Father God? Well, I don't know what a universe is. I'm going to show you. I'm glad you asked. We're going to find out what a universe is. I didn't know what a universe, I really didn't. I mean, I'm a high school dropout, so maybe they taught me, maybe I wasn't listening, or I skipped science that day, but I really didn't know really what was a universe. So, from his thumb to his pinky, he measured the width, length, depth of the universe. Width, length, and depth of the universe. Have you ever pondered the size of a universe? It is beyond your mental capacities. Maybe if we attempt to catch a glimpse of the vastness of the universe, we will come closer to a peak at his glory. Scientists estimate that there are billions of galaxies, billions of galaxies in the universe. A universe, right? You got a billions of galaxies. Guess what? The size of these galaxies are quite, galaxies are quite small compared to the space that actually exists in between them. Our, our sun is located in one of these galaxies. 
our sun is located in. When you look out into the sky at night, you are not seeing a picture of the entire universe. Just a wee little galaxy in which we live in. It's called the Milky Way. And you see only one portion of it for most of the stars in our tiny galaxy are too far to even be seen by the naked eye. Are we getting a picture? Thank you, Jesus. So let's begin with just the galaxy we live in. The closest star to the Earth, other than the sun, is about 4.3 light years away. What's a light year? Oh, goodness, we're going to science today. What is a light year? Okay, 4.3 light years. You may be thinking, what's a light year? (laughs) Exactly what I thought. It is simply the distance light travels in one year. Makes sense, right? So when you hear light years, it means that's how far it travels in one year. Now get ready for the mind-boggling awesomeness of our Father. Um, I don't lose track here. (laughs) So light travels at a speed of 186,282 miles per second. Per second. I mean, we're talking about miles per hour, right? We're talking light travels at the speed of 186,282 miles per second. That is roughly 670 million miles per hour. Compare that to the speed of an airplane. Jason's a pilot. Let's compare that to an airplane, which fly approximately 500 miles per hour. As you can see, Light's pretty fast, right? 500 miles per hour, plane's pretty fast. We can get to, from here to Los Angeles you know, in about three hours. But compare that at 500 miles an hour to 670 million miles per hour. To give you an idea of how fast, let's assume that you could fly a jumbo jet to the sun. If you were to fly to Asia, which is China, and I have some friends that come over from China, And they tell me how long their flights are, which, by the way, is about $12,000 right now to fly to China one way. You want to go to Asia. So that's a burden on a lot of, you know, because we have a lot of American business partners that go back and forth. Every time they go over to Asia to visit their factories, it's $12,000 per person one way. If you were to, it takes approximately about 23 hours. If you took the same plane, nonstop flight to the sun, it would take roughly 21 years That's how far the sun is, right? Stay with me here. I know I'm going to, it's easy to get lost here and you're not looking at it in print, but think about it. The sun is in just a small galaxy. The sun is a a star and it would take 21 years to take a jumbo jet there. Can you imagine Stephen sitting on a jet for 21 years? Look back 21 years in your lifetime. Come on, man. We're going to glorify God this morning, y'all. Stay with me. We're going to glorify his name. We're going to praise almighty God. If I, if, if, think of how long ago. Uh, now imagine 
Uh, now imagine spending all that time uh, for those who are, prefer to drive. Who, Jeff Young, I heard, just like me, we drive, don't we? We ain't driving to the sun. <laughs> We're going to have to miss this one. If you prefer to drive, um, it would take about 200 years to drive to the sun. We wake up in the morning, y'all, and walk outside and go, it's hot out this morning. Or, oh, hey, it's beautiful. Or do we even imagine that that thing would take me 200 years to get to driving a car? 200 years, not including gas or rest stops. That's just nonstop if I drove it. 200 years, Larry. 200. All right. Think of all that time. Now imagine... uh, uh, how long does it take for light to travel to the earth? The answer is mere eight minutes and 20 seconds. That's how fast the light from the sun. So let's leave the sun and consider the nearest star. We already know that it is 4.3 light years away from earth. If we built a scale model of the earth, the sun, and the nearest star and made the earth size of a peppercorn. Do you know how big a peppercorn is? So we're going to take a little peppercorn, and we're going to make that earth. We're drawing a scale here. If I, I should have had time, we could have drew it on the board. I didn't think about it. But we're going to make that little peppercorn. That's going to represent earth right now. Okay? And uh, the sun would be the size of an eight-inch diameter ball. I don't know what is that, like a soccer ball? Okay, so that's... So yet... Um, To scale, the distance from the earth to the sun would be about 26 yards, yet a scale airplane would take more than 21 years to span that 26-yard distance. So if if this is earth's, if if this is the earth's sun's ratio, can you guess the distance from the nearest star to the peppercorn earth? You would think a thousand yards, right? Listen to this maybe 2,000 yards, or maybe a mile, not even close. Our nearest star would be 4,000 miles away from the peppercorn. That means if you put the peppercorn in Miami, Florida, the sun would be 26 yards away, and the nearest star on a scale model would be positioned past Seattle, Washington, into the Pacific Ocean 1,000 miles. That's how our closest star is. Crazy. Let's go back to Isaiah 40:12. He measures the universe from here to here. Starting to get the glory of God. To reach the closest star by airplane, it would take approximately 51 billion years nonstop in an airplane. Yet light Yet light from this star travels to earth in only 4.3 years. Most of the stars you see at night with the naked eye are 100 to 100,000 light years away. 100 to 1,000 to, to 1, light years away when we walk outside and go, oh, stars look good tonight.
However, you can see a few stars with the naked eye that are as far as 4,000 light years away. Remember, they were not even the farthest stars in our own galaxy. I won't attempt to calculate the amount of time it would take for a plane to reach one of those stars. But when you look out one of the stars that is 4,000 light years away, you actually see light that left the star at about the time Abraham married Sarah. So when you walk out tonight and you look at a star, it first shined its light when Abraham was marrying Sarah that long ago before it hit earth. Come on now, God. This is why he has questions for Job. Oh, you're going to question me? And we're going to get to that too. <laughs> oh, God, you're good. Like I said, I just want to paint. I got to get this. And the Lord told me just, hey, you got it all in the book on there. Just let them know. Okay, so you ready for more? Brains are okay? Here we go, God. Uh, when, so when you look at one of those stars that is 4,000 light years away, you actually see light that left when Abraham married Sarah and has been traveling at the speed at 670 million miles per hour without slowing down or ceasing since and is just now getting to earth. Whew. These are stars in our tiny galaxy of the Milky Way. We haven't ventured out to the other billions of galaxies, right? Scientists say there's billions of galaxies. This is just our little galaxy. Miami to 1,000 miles past Seattle, our closest star to the sun. We haven't ventured out to the other billions of galaxies, and don't forget that there's mostly vast space between the galaxies. For example, a very close neighboring galaxy is named and and Andromeda. Its distance from us is approximately 2.3 million light years. Think of it. That's the neighbor galaxy. 2.3 light years. Million light years away is our neighbor galaxy. Hey, neighbor. <laughs> Come on, God. Still in that universe. <sighs> Come on, Jesus. <laughs> it takes light traveling at the speed of 670 million miles per hour, more than 2 million years to get to our Earth from that galaxy. It is our closest neighboring galaxy. There are billions of other galaxies. Billions. Billions of other galaxies. Have we gone beyond the ability to comprehend yet? I have. Isaiah declares that God measured this vast universe from thumb to pinky. Solomon asserts that the Spirit of God, but will, uh, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. 1 Kings 8.27, are you getting a glimpse of who came down? <laughs> are you getting a glimpse? Are we got a glimpse of who came to visit Moses? Maybe we should discuss other matters small to God. Isaiah states that 
he weighed the mountains in his own scales and put the hills in a balance. He measured all the water in the oceans like seas and lakes. You ever pour water in a measuring cup? The word of God says that God measured every drop of him. Every stream, every creek, every puddle in this parking lot, he knows how much to the ounce of what's on that parking lot to the deepest and the depths of the sea. He knows, and the Bible says, he weighs it all. Glory be to you, God. Rivers, ponds, guess where he measures it? In the palm of his hand. Let's just take the Pacific Ocean, y'all. He measures that in the palm of his hand, and he doesn't forget that little pond in the back of your yard. This is the God that we worship. This is why you assemble. This is why you say you call him holy. This is why you turn from your wicked ways and you start following God because he revealed his majesty to you. And if he hasn't revealed his majesty to you, he needs to reveal it. And he's trying to this morning. Somebody needs to hear this. Have you considered the powers of the seas? He, the word, let me back up. In Isaiah 40, 12, again, he, that verse says, he is the one who commanded the seas not to pass the boundary. See that silver line? You stop and you go no farther. He commanded the sea. We think the sea just, well, that's just the way it is and it can't go over. That. Let's see what, how powerful the sea is. If a meteor one mile wide hit the Pacific Ocean a few hundred miles off of the coast of Los Angeles, California, it would create a wave so large enough it would kill every person and wipe out every structure in the entire west coast of America. From San Diego to Anchorage, Alaska, it would continue across the ocean and wipe out several Asian countries as well, yet the wave would not be nearly as tall as the Pacific Ocean is as deep. So what would happen if the entire weight of the ocean waters were unleashed against mankind? There is a lot of power in the oceans of the world, yet God weighed every drop of that water in the palm of his hand. Every drop. This is why demons believe and tremble. But yet we act like Job. Come on, God. Come on, man, I prayed. You didn't answer this. And why am I doing this? And I can't ever have anything right in my life. And like Job accused God of going to sleep on the job. Isn't that what he did? Oh, he did. He told everybody about Jesus. Life was blessed. All was good. And when all hell was unleashed on him, and it was hell, for sure. Can't imagine. Can't imagine losing what Job lost. We go through our little trials and tribulations and sickness and disease that tries to come on us in that darkness. I still can't imagine what the man Job must have been facing. And I'm not going to sit here and say I wouldn't have questioned God myself. But when you read the end of the story and you find out that even though he questioned God, he questioned it in such a pure heart that God forgave him of all of his sins 
and, and said, at least he's talking to me. At least he's talking to me. Um, stop and ponder this thought for just one moment. We have a glorious maker whom even the universe cannot contain. He measures the universe by the span of his hand, yet he is so detailed in his design of tiny, tiny earth, the peppercorn, right? He measures uh, that, that uh, he is so detailed in his design of the tiny earth and his creatures that modern science are baffled by it after years and years of study. You know, they're still finding creatures in the sea. Kempton told me, Dad, you know they're still finding creatures in the sea. God, don't stop creating. Now you can, like I said, better understand how Job felt after uttering foolish questions and statements to the ears of God. And God came to him in a whirlwind, a storm, a whirlwind, and said, who is this? Who is this that questions my wisdom, right? With such ignorant words. Brace yourself, almighty God says. If you're in this place and you want to question God, brace yourself. He has questions for you. I have some questions. And he says, you must answer them is what he said to Job. Where were you <laughs> when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Do you know how its dimensions were determined and who did the surveying? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstones? Who defined the boundaries of the sea as it burst from the womb and as I clothed it with the clouds in the thick darkness? For I locked, I locked it behind barred, barred gates, limiting its shores, I said. Thus far and no farther will I come. Here, you proud waves, must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear? And cause the dawn to rise? <laughs> Have you ever caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you ever told the daylight to spread the ends of the uh, spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of all the earth? Tell me about it if you know. You capturing God here? Wait a minute. You're sitting here under a little bit of trial and tribulation, and you're going to start to question who I am. You're going to start to doubt that I'm your provider. You're going to start to doubt that I supply all your need. You're going to start to forget that I've lost, like Job, pretty much accused God of going to sleep while he had a job of running the universe. And you're going to sleep on the job. That's basically what Job's saying. How many of us are guilty? Come on, man. Of trying to put God in this little tiny self-kingdom and make it look like something I can control. 
And he's sitting here saying, I tell the waves where to go and where to stop. And you're going to tell me how I'm going to be your God? Do you know where the death, the gates of death are located? Have you been to the gates of hell? That's what he's saying. That's death, right? Separation. Eternal separation from God is death by definition when God says death. Have you seen, do you realize the extent of the earth? Uh, where does the light come from? Where does the darkness go? Can you take it to its home? Do you know how to get there? Have you visited the treasures of the snow? Have you seen where the hail is made and stored? Have you reserved it for a time of trouble and for a day of battle and war? There is a path to the, uh, where is the path to the origin of light? Where is its home? Where is the home of the east wind? Who created a channel for the torrents of rain? Who laid out the path for the lightning? Who makes it rain fall on barren land in a desert where no one lives? Can you hold back the movements of the stars? Can you, are, are you able to restrain Pleiades or Orin? I don't know how to say that right. Can you ensure the proper sequence of the seasons or guide the constellation of the bear with her cubs across the heavens? Do you know the laws of the universe and how God rules the earth? <laughs> Come on, man. God is, that, if, if demons tremble, every creature on earth knows there's a God. The bear and her cubs know there's a God. But yet we, oh. Can you hold back the movements of the stars? Can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Can you make lightning appear and cause it to strike exactly where you direct it? <laughs> you know, that's the questions. That, that is the questions that God had to a complaining, complaining creature, creation. I think that I'm reminded that, like you, Tracy, Job has so many stories. And sometimes we've simplified it so much. But for the most part, as you tie all this, the vastness and the glory of God, I've got good news. I'm not here to beat on you today. <laughs> God's got a, heart, a love letter on his heart this morning, y'all. He's got a love letter, and he wants to deliver it. I just wanted you, before you got his love letter, to understand who was sending it. Praise God. If you don't know God, if you question the very existence, I want your mind to go there one time. Who does hang the stars? Who causes the wind to blow? Who keeps it all in control? Who keeps the waters and tells them to stop, if it not be God? Who created you? We don't believe the lies 
we know that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. God, Job's question and God's answers, my questions and God's answers, I can't question him. I have no right. He loved me so much. So I want to tell you something. I just came here this morning to deliver a love letter because we know that that's what the word is, right? This entire Bible, this right here, I've read cover to cover. Many of you have. And you know what I get out of it? Is a love letter. It's a love letter to me. It's a love letter saying that I'm going to show you these things and I want you to know my glory. I want you to come up the mountain. I want to show you my face. And if you seek it, it you'll find it. If you, right? So let me know if this letter, and I can get you a copy of this too, if, you, if it hits your heart and you want a copy, I, I didn't think to make any, but we can get you a copy and you can fold it up, put it in your Bible. But I want you to know this morning, everyone in here, that the God I just described has this also to say to you, my child. You may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered. For you were made in my image. In me, you live and move and have your being. For you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You are not a mistake, for all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I'm not distant and angry, but I am a complete expression of love. It is my desire to lavish my love on you simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than the earthly father could ever do, offer you, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts towards you are countless as the sand of the seashore. And I rejoice over you with singing. Whew. Your father, who created the heavens, the earth, the universe and the billions of galaxies and he measures them from pinky to thumb says he rejoices over you with singing. He rejoices over you, Steve, with singing. 
He rejoices over you. Every mistake, everything that you've ever thought you've done, he rejoices over you. He sees no wrong. He wants you to know his love. He wants you to come to know his love, come to know his house, come to know his ways, and teach you to battle unclean spirits that come in and lie to you and tell you you're not worthy, and you're not worthy of God's love, and this is what you get, and this is all you're going to have in life, and this is that, and all these lies being spewed out. Lying spirits. My thoughts towards you are countless as the sands of the seashore. He picks a, I want you to go out and pick one handful of sand up. And we've done that and we've thought about the descendants of Abraham, right? But you pick that next palm of sand up and you follow through it. And I want you to hear the voice of your holy God that says, these are my thoughts towards you. Count them if you can. Do you think we've been misrepresentative? Do you think somebody have maybe misrepresented our God? He closes. We'll finish the letter. I desire to establish with you all my heart. My desire to establish you with all my heart and my soul. That's God's desire. Is to establish me. And I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me, and I will give you the desires of your heart. Signed, your heavenly Father, God. Lord, I thank you and I praise you, God, for a fearfully and wonderful made being. I thank you, God, that you count my days. You know when I rise and you know when I sit. God, we're here to give you glory and honor and praise, Lord, as we have done today. God, you're worthy of all praise. Father, I thank you right now that you have chosen me. You chose me, God, before the creation of the world, before the creation of the universe. You had me on your mind. I'm tired of listening to any lies. I will not listen to any lies that say I'm not worthy. Lord, I magnify you for your sheer glory. God, forgive me if I've ever questioned you. Forgive me, God, if I've ever doubted you. Forgive me, God, if I've ever complained. Father, I give you everything I have everything I have right now with everybody just closed off. I want you thinking about God. I want you to think about the Father, the Creator, the living God that measures a universe from the pinky to thumb. Get that image. Listen to the words on paper that he loves you, that he wants you. He knows you're coming and going. He knows my lying down. He knows it's raising up. And I want you to ask yourself, first of all, are you in this place and you don't know him this way? Are you in this place going, God, there's got to, if there's a God, I got to know him. If there's a God, I need him. I don't know him. 
I don't know if there's a God. I started that question out today saying, do you know? Or maybe you don't know. And I want the first one right now. No one's looking around. Don't worry. No one's looking. Is there anyone in this place? That's, the Bible says that Jesus, God, the same God, loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son that whoever would believe on him would be saved from that eternal punishment of separation from God, that we had to believe in the word Jesus, believe in the name of Jesus, and ask him to be our Lord of our life, that we would be governed the rest of our life, that we would forget about our self-kingdom, and we would be introduced to a new kingdom. That's why the Bible says, behold, anyone that believes in Christ, a whole new kingdom, a whole new creation, a whole new life starts to begin. You're born again. If you've never in your place, and you're in this place, you've never been born again, you've never acknowledged Christ in that way, as a new birth, and you want to know God in this way, I don't want to pass this moment up, and I want you to slip your hand up real quick. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you and say, yes, I want to live for Jesus. Yes, I want to know him. I want to invite him in my life. I want to set a banner on my house that says, I'll serve the Lord. I want to change. If there's anybody in here that way that doesn't know, just slip up your hand. Okay? Good. We're all saints. We're all children of God. We all know. So next is this. It's simple. Will you accept this letter from your heavenly Father? Be reminded every day of what he has to say about you. And when trouble comes, the Bible doesn't say that we're going to be free from trouble, you guys. I've had my fair share. But God has sustained me. He's gotten me through it every time. I can tell you this personally. I've never questioned God. Not in my heart and not with my lips. I got this early in my life. I understood this that I can't question God, and I didn't even have all the scientific knowledge of really, truly how great God is. So when trouble comes, God's looking for the heart that says, you know better, Lord, and I've submitted to your Lordship. I don't understand this with all the fiber in my being. Your word says this. Your word says that I'm promised this, and I'm promised that. And anything I ask will be given to me. But Lord, I don't see it all the time. He's asking you, will you have a heart that just trusts me? Will you have a heart that says, I trust you, God, regardless of the outcome, because I know you're in control. And I relinquish that control. When I said, I give you my life, Jesus, I was saying, I can't live it anymore on my own. I need you to live it through me. And the letter even says it, oh, I'm in you. So you can have that freedom, saint. We're all children of God. We go through things. We go through bad diagnoses. We go through health scares. We go through junk. And Jesus told us that in this world, you'll have trouble. 
The world is quaking and shaking. But take heart, for I've overcome the world. And this morning, we need to remember that the God we serve is in complete control. We don't have to control him. We don't have to question him. We don't have to tell him that he's fallen asleep and that he's forgotten about me because you know what? His thoughts of you are like the grains of sand and he sings and rejoices over you. So just like Austin sang this morning, that song that I'll raise a hallelujah, when that giant of unbelief comes and stands at your door, you shout hallelujah. You're a liar. You spirit of unbelief. You spirit of sadness. You spirit of grief. You spirit of death. I bind you in the name of Jesus and I command you to leave. That's how you run your kingdom. That's how you run your house. That you, Jesus says, I give you authority over all these spirits. We think of a spirit as some big, bad, grooming, demon-looking thing. But a spirit is a spirit of unbelief. It's not a spirit of God. Right? Just a simple unbelief. And you think that's just, no, that's a spirit. Tell them to get away. Get out of here. You don't get to rule this house. If anyone wants prayer, if you need a touch, we've got a whole team of people that would love to pray with you. Agree with, you know the word says, where two or more agree on touching any one thing, it'll be given. Maybe you just need a comfort. Maybe you just need a hug. Maybe the waves have been too much to handle in the last couple weeks. Maybe you've just been tossed a little too much in the storms and you're ready for that still sweet water and you want somebody to agree with you. And then you come up here and you come to your father's altar and you ask for prayer. If you need direction in any one thing, it's not a big, it's just you want somebody to agree with you, a brother and sister to agree with you. We'll pray with you. So, Father, I thank you for the reading of your word. I thank you again, God, for everyone in here.